you know, I, I like to open a lot of things with the concept of the Ouroboros and uh, the idea of always consuming your past and consuming the things that uh, your former identities to create a new one uh, rather than just kind of resting on your laurels and sitting around. And so I think you have to you have to destroy part of your past to creating kind of new future. And so that's what I've focused on a lot in my work and in trying to put that into a ritual context for people. One of the things I hear author and speaker Jack Donovan say over and over in this particular interview is the concept of reinvention. If you don't like your history, write a new one. Great men have always lived in the shadow of their own selves. They've been forced to write a new tale, to become a new character, to draw forth the best version of themselves. Sometimes in order to recover from a haunted and hidden past, and sometimes to become the man they know they are capable of. This interview is a profound one in various aspects where Jack begins to lay out his passion for helping ordinary men transform and and become something greater, something more than themselves. And that's the work. That's my work. That's his work. But that's all of our work. How do we begin to inspire and elicit and call forth that inner hero. That's the way of men. I hope you'll listen in on Last Man Standing. Maybe you could tell me what you think is going on. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. But you feel it. You felt it your entire life. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. This life's hard, man, but it's harder if you're stupid. I've been around, you know. There was a time I could see, and I have seen, but there is nothing like the sight of an amputated spirit. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Today, woo, I've got the style and profile like never before. To be the man, you got to beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, right here. I'm the man. Hey everyone, welcome to Lost Man Standing, the podcast where we explore spirituality, ecology, and sex through the lens of the sacred masculine. I'm your host and guide, Rainier Wild. It is so good, so good to get to be here with you all. I, uh, I have just had a hell of a last couple of weeks, in all honesty. Maybe you have known, maybe you haven't. Had a tonsil rupture. God, craziest thing. I'm going to share the story with you because it is kind of interesting. I I had this experience where I was writing in my journal uh, about a new habit I wanted to take on. Sometimes we just fill the air with words. We just say many things. And I was becoming aware that there was a proliferation of meanness (laughs) I was putting out into the world. So I said to myself, well, okay, how can I take on... uh, a more laconic aspect of my soul, to say more by saying less. So I intended that. Two days later, I wake up with a sore throat. A few hours into it, I literally rupture a tonsil. I'm like spitting blood and coughing blood into a sink. I go down to my doctor, and they're like, okay, okay, diagnose me. It was crazy, crazy. Thankfully, modern medicine exists. I can reel against civilization so well. I mean, I I really can, literally with the best of them, until modern medicine. And and here's the deal. I I love that every single person who is celebrating civilization as a whole always refers to, like, communication advances, technology advances, such as a better television and medicine. And I'm like, yeah, well, I guess the promise of 6,000 years finally paid off in the last hundred. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> let's be honest, it's not like we've had, you know, modern medicine for very long. They were putting fucking leeches on people not too long ago. So I just think we should be really, really honest and say, you know, we're lucky today. Haven't always been so lucky. That having been said, feel fairly fortunate to have my voice back. I'm still going to be laconic, but maybe with vocal cords intact. So that feels good. What else? What else? You know, it's 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 been pretty awesome. We sold out our Embody Men's Retreat, um, the medicine uh, journey, as as well as the general admission. This is something that is so cool, uh, such a neat aspect to, to 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 interact with. You know, I I get to do a lot one on one with men across across the miles. I'm certainly involved with many men internationally. But getting to invite people into my backyard, into into my home turf here in the Pacific Northwest, and to begin to engage with them in ways that that help them truly embody their purpose on this planet. That's what it's all about for me. That's one of the highest orders of living. And that's something I'm I, I'm deeply committed to. Really, really good stuff. You know, it's interesting. I, I think uh, I, I push the edge. I, I always have. I get fired up challenging the outer limits of what's possible. It, it's just I get turned on knowing that there's something just under the surface. And if somebody says you shouldn't or I'm going to ask why not, <laughs> I mean, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to do it. Okay. If you tell me no one's been there before, that's, that's pretty much as good as sending me a signed invitation. All through my development, I broke boundaries. You know, I remember this one time where my mother tried to, to homeschool me for a year. And at the end of the year, she says, you're unteachable. I don't think I was unteachable, but I think I challenged the hell out of that process. And I've certainly understood in my own life that I've had to confront that part of the energy, which I call the uninitiated boy, who's just always looking for mischief. And it played out in some pretty piss poor ways, you know, acting like a character in somebody else's novel and just disregarding the feelings of others, one night stands, a lot of lack of accountability in general. I hadn't confronted my own shadow. But as I've learned to develop that aspect, especially in relationship to others, it's become a courageous warrior, right? Breaking the chains in others' life. And that's part of what I do. I, I relentlessly try to challenge the status quo. That's my work here and now. I speak my truth and that forces others to confront their own internal hangups and sticking points. I, I say what I see, unveiling those compulsions and fixations and demand a, a perspective shift. And for the most part, this aspect of me is, is driven as a gift to be given. I live it out in my work, in my connection. I'm not perfect at it. I still make mistakes. Um, but more and more, it is this benevolent warrior who wields the sword of truth to, to bring out what must be into this world. And recently, a, a man who I worked with uh, said that our interactions left him disturbed. And he went on and said, the tables were overturned. And then he said, and this is exactly what you said would happen. I am so grateful. That's what it means to do the deep work with me. It, it, it means that if you're ready to work, that's exactly what we're going to do. And so I would just point you to that same process. If you're ready to have the sword of truth wielded in your life, if you're ready to take the deep dive and get serious about your own development, I would point you no further than the shadow work, which is three different 90-minute times together with me, uh, a very intuitive and dynamic, dare I say it, even spiritual process where we get deeply into your essence and your persona. Um or also pursuing the masculine archetype in your life, also a really profound uh, element. And I, I would just highly recommend it. Either of those. Those are things that you can find on the website, evolvingwild.live. You know, the, the truth is, month to month, I don't have that many uh, spots available. And these days there's a wait list. But, but don't let that stop you. 
one of the things that that men constantly say to me is, "Oh, I thought I thought you were too busy to take on ordinary guys. You're working with, you know, some high level coaches. You're you're doing these different things. C- come on, come on, reach out to me. Make the call. Also, it's not that expensive. Some people are like, "Oh, I thought you were you're so expensive. <laughs> come on, seriously, I am not in this for the money. I'm apparently not in it for the health either." Here's what I would say. Reach out. If you are interested in making the change and doing the work, I cannot recommend that process more to you. Get in there. Get in there. And if you see me post about retreats, if you're a part of my mailing list and I send out an email about it, do your best to jump on board as soon as you can. As soon as you can because these things do sell out. I, uh, I posted recently eight signs you need to do healing around the masculine. And I, I think I want to say them now because it, it is important for men who are listening to this. The interview that you're going to hear with Jack Donovan, I think, points to some of these things. He talks about reinvention quite a bit. He talks about the need or the desire to reform yourself. And I, I think I would point to these same elements around healing the masculine one thing you don't keep or have close male friends it's a major one you can't access your emotion of aggression you don't have a sense of purpose you can't keep your agreements you find yourself consistently craving feminine warmth and vitality men don't trust you you find it very difficult to handle more than one perspective. And, and here's the deal. One of the greatest needs in our society today is that inner healing of the masculine. Part of the wounding we've lived with is around this space. And when we're cut off from this archetype, we find ourselves unable to access our inner balls. Literally, it's as though we can't notice or, or, or utilize our aggression except very, very passively. It's difficult to be assertive for a man who hasn't healed his inner masculine. And candidly, a lot of men who are wounded in their masculine core, they can't take feedback. It feels naggy if it's from a woman and totally harsh if it's from another dude. They want to to be protected and insulated from it. They want want to empathize with and feel, you know, validated. That deliciousness of agreement, as teacher Tara Brock sometimes says. But, but because you can't adequately take feedback, there's unclarified aspects to your work. Your purpose isn't honed. You, you have an undefinable sense of emptiness. And because the masculine is the container, which holds the moment-by-moment feminine, if that archetype is undeveloped, it's difficult to even see multiple sides of the conversation. There's a, a lopsidedness when connected to the inner masculine. Um, if you're dealing with this. So we see these symptoms everywhere, both genders, pointing to a total disconnect. And one of our deep needs is that healing experience, is to reinvent from the ground up by connecting to these places in ourself. Certainly in the interview, you're going to hear author and speaker Jack Donovan talk about his path that he often engages with. I think one of the reasons why this is an important conversation is one, because he is a leading voice in this. Um, Two, he speaks to it in evolutionary and biological um, elements that, that often are missed outside of the halls of academia. And, uh, and three, because he says it in a way that hits you over the head. And usually when you feel shock from anything, it's because you were asleep, you were numb. And it's, it's targeting something. It's triggering something inside of you. And so you need to begin to pay attention, maybe not just to the words that are being said, but also to the reactions that you yourself hold. Why do I resist this so much? Why is this so painful for me to listen to? Why is this so uh, obnoxious or <laughs> frustrating? On and on. What are your projections about? One of the things I love about the work that Jack does is Jack becomes the archetype. This is a man who's reinvented himself. Again, you'll hear him say it lots of times in his life. And right now at this stage, one of the things he's doing is embodying that archetype. And I love that. It's an important set of, uh, of understandings, meaning he's not simply trying to talk the talk. He's walking the talk too. 
And I don't know the ins and outs of his daily life. Uh, Jack uh, is his own person. He's an enigma wrapped in a mystery. And I think that's great. Keep on doing that. Keep on writing. Keep on pointing out these elements. It's, it's a big thing. And if you're a man listening to this, I can't recommend highly enough picking up The Way of Men. That was a great book that early on um, really began to point out to many different people, myself included, the importance of what he calls tactile virtues, strength, courage, honor, mastery. These are principles woven into not just culture, but even the biology of maleness. Something to think about. All right. Uh, You can stay connected by going to evolvingwild.live. As always, we try and bring a plurality of voices to this conversation on what it means to live into the sacred masculine. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. You can reach out to me on Instagram, Rainier Wild. You can DM me. You can send me uh, comments. And more than anything, if you'd simply show up and be the man you know that you are. Okay? That's what this is all about. But seriousness, I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad to be in this. This is Lost Man Standing. Jack, what have you been up to these days? Well, right now I'm uh, relaxing. I just had a big event, uh, the the biggest event I've ever had out at uh, my land, Vaultgang. And I uh, just had a big uh, ritual with a whole bunch of really quality guys and a, a lot of energy. Uh, yeah, we we asked people up in our new building, and and as uh, we were sitting in there waiting, uh, you know, going through people one by one, uh, they were already chanting and shouting outside, and uh, I'm like, I'm almost afraid to go out there. <laughs> What's going on? This is like a rock concert. What's happening? What an incredibly unique world you're reconstructing and, and birthing through this. It's fascinating to hear about it. It sounds like a page out of, out of history. Yeah. Yeah, that's the idea. It's supposed to be a place out of time. Hmm. Yeah. Recently, I was listening to one of your talks as I was preparing for this interview, and I noted the theme of creation and recreation was coming front and center and it sounds like this is a thread for you in these ritual events and, and maybe in various aspects of your personal life. Would you agree? Well, I think uh, personally, that's something I've done all my life. Uh, I've recreated myself many times and uh, you know, I'm always trying to evolve and, and push forward. And I, especially in midlife, uh, you meet a lot of men, especially a lot of these famous athletes and so forth, uh, or, you know, people who have been in the military or whatever. And uh, they're going through a place in their life where they need to figure out who am I now? Because they already had an identity. And uh, that identity, you know, has ended for whatever reason, like with athletes, uh, you know, it becomes, you know, they top out. And uh, they have to decide, you know, what what's my next career path? What am I going to get into now? And uh, kind of redefine themselves and recreate themselves. And, uh, and I think that that in a ritual context, that's a lot of what we did in this uh, last ritual. You know, I I like to open a lot of things with the concept of the Ouroboros, mm. and uh, the idea of always consuming your past and consuming the things that uh, your former identities to create a new one, uh, rather than just kind of resting on your laurels and sitting around. And so I think you have to you have to destroy part of your past to create any kind of new future. And mm. so that's what I've focused on a lot in my work and in trying to put that into a ritual context for people. Yeah. I can imagine that being incredibly powerful for the average man because, you know, change gets foisted upon us. Uh, oftentimes we don't have a choice to reinvent. We, we have to, we have to divorce ourselves from our, our past and our, our prior histories just in order to move ahead. Do you find that? Yeah, well, you know, the cliche of that Rolling Stones song, you, 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 you can't always get what you want, but you, you sometimes you get what you need. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's, uh, that's definitely been the case for me. I mean, I've went through a few things in the past year uh, where, you know, I, I wanted them to continue at the time. But uh, now that they've ended, I am in a place where that was 
perfect. Mm. <laughs> I'm so glad that happened. <laughs> yeah, I think that we could probably all relate to that, where we would protest, we would push it away, we would avoid the change if we could. But then confronted by it, we, we can't avoid it. It's like a freight train coming for us. I think we both deal a lot in conscious change, but sometimes I get dubious. Is it possible to actually consciously change? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely done a lot of conscious changing. Uh, actually, about uh, a little over eight weeks ago, I stopped drinking. Wow, that's a big deal. And that was something that was a very conscious change. Uh, mm. Something that, you know, I, I thought about for a long time and this this kind of needs to happen so that I can move to the next level in my life because this is something that's holding me back. So absolutely. I mean, uh, I've, I've transformed myself consciously more than by accident, I think, mm. maybe. But, uh, and, you know, that's hard to, that's hard to quantify. But uh, I've definitely, I mean, obviously become physically a new person uh, very much by choice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's all part of it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It seems like that that is a part of it. And maybe even the masculine or decisive part of, of these uh, elements. But it seems like so often we wait until the choice is demanded of us. The tooth has to be pulled. The, the weight must be lost. You know, we're in a hospital having suffered a heart attack, you know? Uh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of, and, you know, and I've obviously had that situation as well. Like I said, uh, you know, with some things that happened, like I want them to continue, but they, they, they couldn't. And, uh, but it is important to recognize if you can recognize a problem and stop it before it gets to, gets to rock bottom. Uh, I think that's obviously better. I'm hearing this and it's bringing to mind something I've heard you say before, which is that that at a critical time in your life, you read the novel Seawolf by Jack London, and that that provoked a, a certain set of changes. Talk about that. Well, it was really one of my entry points into looking at masculinity in, in a positive light. Again, because I think when I was younger, I, I you know very much grew up with a more feminist mindset, and not that I was indoctrinated in that way, because my parents are very con normal and conservative, but. Uh, I, you know, I was, I was different. And so I went down that path and that's what seemed new and interesting at that time. And now that uh, it, when I went and took a look at Seawolf in my early thirties, uh, that was something that, uh, you know, you have this uh, very, uh, you know, academic or well-to-do cosmopolitan gentleman uh, who is forced to deal with the brutal truth of reality or, the, you know, a harder, a harder life. And uh, I think that our ability to navigate that harder life you know, is in many cases being lost. And while I don't fancy myself as a survivalist or, or you know, someone who's going to, you know, survive the apocalypse and rule, <laughs> I, I, I do, uh, you know, there's something that's being missed really spiritually in our, you know, ability to just, you know, be you know, self-sufficient. Hmm. You used the word spiritual. I'm curious what you actually mean by that. You know, I asked a lot of people uh, on my Instagram uh, account one day what, what they mean by becoming more spiritual because everybody says that. Yeah. And uh, the, the collective response, I, I think, in the majority was being attached to something bigger. Uh, I mean, personally, when I, when I use it uh, in that context, I'm using it in terms of self-development and, you know, what makes you happy you know in in many ways so what makes and not not happy in in the silly like goofy sense but uh you know what what's f most fulfilling and i think that men are very much unfulfilled if they don't say if they're too far on one side i just uh hung out not too long ago in salt lake city with a guy who runs a his name's josh chyler he runs a thing called a savage gentleman yeah he's a he's a professional mma fighter uh, but his his whole take on things is is balancing this gentleman side with this savage side. Uh, so you know, there's a weird dichotomy in American culture. I think especially it's I don't know if it's 80s movies or what, but uh, you know the idea that the you know if you're smart then you have to be uh, physically uh, feet, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, or or you have to if you're you know, athletic, and then you're just one of the dumb jocks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm lucky enough to know so many guys that uh, are not that, 
and in fact, a lot of the most you know warrior oriented oriented dudes I know are actually extremely well read yeah. and ex- extremely smart. I you know I have the opportunity often to talk to a lot of guys who've had combat experience or have been involved in special forces and things like that, and and a lot of those guys are extremely smart. Yeah. And, uh, so the idea that you have to be one or the other is is kind of a cop out on both sides. I I also have an old friend who I think went the jock route when he was very intelligent mm. and uh you know kind of played the dumb guy for a long time and then you know there are a lot of guys who well I'm smart and th- therefore that's all I need. Yeah. And uh you know I I really admire people who need to balance themselves and that's what I that's what I mean when I talk about you know spiritually uh you know, internally, there's a balance missing that they need to explore that other side of themselves because that's, you know, the warrior side of this uh, is the side that is associated directly with manliness, uh, you know, and the, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you don't have that as part of your deck of cards, uh, mm. you know, some aspect of that in your life, I think that there's a nagging sense that something's missing. When I first discovered your work, in the book, The Way of Men, that was something I was particularly struck by, that you seemed to joyously honor this biological approach to masculinity involving strength and the honoring of strength for strength's sake. And as well, another element, a a thread that goes so often missing in our culture, which I would describe as loving the struggle, the joy in pushing into the storm, the, the, the reverent awe of facing down the giants. And I think those two are so intertwined and, and candidly had been missing in my life, but I think often are simply missing in culture at large. We do not honor our biological bodies, our form, or the struggle itself. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, yeah, there's something important about uh, being tested and being challenged. And, uh, you know, our greatest moments come in that process. And, uh, you know, even if it was bad, even if it turns out badly, if you, you know, I think there's a shirt that a lot of military guys like, that's like, did you die? Okay, well, you didn't die, so whatever. Uh, you know, like, did you die? Uh, so if you if you didn't die and you made it through something, people ask me how to become more confident or more courageous. And I think making it through something that was difficult makes you more confident and courageous. Uh-huh. And so the, the struggle is very you know sacred in that way. Uh, you know, it's it's important to, to you know to transform us. I think that's so vital of an understanding that that peace, that adversity or struggle do in fact transform us. And when I reflect back on so much of my own upbringing, so much of my own life, one of the things that becomes painfully evident to me is that my faith structures themselves and even the cultural structures that we perhaps generally exist within dominant society and cultural milieus, did not adequately support this belief. That instead, they created an expectation of the good stuff is on the other side. Sort of this very linear, horizontal approach in which everything I want is anticipated. And I may have to get through some some really shitty situations to get there, but, but the truth is, uh, it's not here. You seem like you have a spiritual underpinning that's different than that. Talk about, about that structure in your life, will, will you? Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, I read a book recently. I think it was uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's book on flow. And he had an interesting uh, idea that, uh, just a, a phrasing that, uh, you know, these things that we use are are, um, a means of organizing consciousness. And I really like the idea of organizing consciousness. And I think that's what myth actually does. Uh, Myth actually organizes consciousness and gives you a frame for everything because in, you know, I talk about in ritual uh, context, uh, 
yeah, in an Odinic concept, you have, you know, the brothers, you know, Odin, Vili, and Ve, and their translations roughly come out to fury, will, and sanctity. Mm. And, uh, you know, that the sanctity is kind of your, your guiding narrative. Uh, because if you don't have a guiding narrative, you know, you can have fury and will, and you're just kind of a enraged individual, you know, you're an inspired individual, but you have no really direction or anchor. Uh, and spirituality uh, or, re- you know, religion or myth uh, gives you a sense of like, well, this is, this is how I'm framing reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, this is my guiding narrative. And so I think that having a guiding narrative is extremely important. Now, I, I you know, we live in a strange age where we have access to all of the information in history, <laughs> more or less. Uh, you know, obviously filtered in different ways, but uh, we have access to all this information so we can see even how the myths of our ancestors evolved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I got really interested in, uh, in and am very interested in Proto-Indo-European culture and, yeah. and, and how that spread and how, it, how you can see it recognized up in, you know, Greek mythology and, and uh, other mythologies that it's related to. And so you, in one sense, you see something like the Germanic pantheon as an evolution of that. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of self-describing, I, you can't be everywhere at mm-hmm. once. You know, like I can't be Greek and Proto-Indo-European and Roman and, <laughs> and, and, and Icelandic and, right. yeah, and Vedic. And, and I can't do all those things at once. And so... Uh, you know, to keep from being too schizophrenic, I think you can acknowledge all those influences and, and acknowledge that evolution. But at the same time, you have to kind of locate it somewhere. Like, where do I feel most comfortable? Where Where is this most useful for me personally? And so for me, you know, when I built Volgang, you know, at that time, obviously, we were very much uh, into the uh, you know, Germanic pantheon. And a lot of people take that up into you know, cause most of the information comes from Scandinavia, mm-hmm. but I don't have a lot of Scandinavian roots. I have a little bit, but, uh, I don't have a lot of Scandinavian roots, but, uh, we all have, have a common, common culture that comes from more, you know, continental Europe. And, uh, you know, and so that I situated everything in, in that continental European, uh, realm. Yeah. And so for, for Volgang, you know, it's very continental Germanic. Uh, but then that's, that's, that's my starting place, obviously. But like I said, we, we can explore all those other things, but uh, uh, that's, that's what I'm going to come back to. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about the words of Nietzsche and something he said about what has happened to the human spirit. What have morals and the beliefs of the day done to the human soul. They have crippled it. And of course, he's talking about the relationship of the continental uh, Christian orthodoxy of his day. But I guess I'm wondering if you yourself feel that the dominant spiritual and, and religious traditions have done damage to us as men. Well, Christianity, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, sure. <laughs> you know, personally, it's not my favorite thing in the world. Uh, not because I have a, a, any demons I need to exercise in that area. I wasn't raised, and I was raised Catholic, but not in, a, in a, an overbearing sense. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't have a, a lot of anger towards Christianity whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I, I do see a lot of, men especially you know because you figure christianity for a long time wasn't written down i mean it was written down but like no one could read it you know yeah. like it wasn't in the common tongue and when it got printed in the common tongue i think obviously that changed it because then people were able to, then you get protestantism and and, and uh uh you know people can really look at it and the, the the actual doctrine that's there you really have to search uh and for a lot of manly elements in it yeah and, you know, guys will argue that. And the first thing that they're going to say is that one time when Jesus kicked out the moneylenders, boy, was he a badass. And, <laughs> yeah, and that whip. <laughs> yeah, every time. That's like, that's, they cling to that. That is like all they have. 
and uh or they have to you know it's they they become uh what i like to call johnny cash christians uh like the, the very the very old testament like fire and brimstone christian totally. like i'm gonna god's gonna cut you down kind of <laughs> you know, vibe and and you know because they're looking for something masculine in this thing yes. that they feel comfortable in because it's the dominant religion of their society and the one that they were brought up in and and you know i don't really i'm not evangelical i don't need other people to change mm-hmm. what they believe for for me to be happy uh, and that's that's kind of a failure of paganism, really, because uh, you mm. know evangelical religions uh, are more successful, I think, because they they make everyone get on the exact same page. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I, so I don't have a, a lot of anger towards that, but uh, I do think that men, a lot of them, are reaching towards uh, paganism or heathenism because they see these values that uh, they have as men not reflected enough in christianity and mm-hmm. and so they're they're looking for something else and so i do think that's been harmful and and led to a lot of uh maybe not in a nietzschean sense but a lot of uh, uh feminine thinking a lot of a lot of self-sacrifice endless self-sacrifice and uh, endless uh uh turning the other cheek even though i guess that's supposed to be a bad translation but uh uh, you know, an endless sense of of kind of being submissive, mm. and uh, a lot of people, a lot of men, just aren't comfortable with that, and so they're they're looking for something else. And I think that's that's harmed men in the long run. You know, since Protestantism. You know, I love hearing you frame it in terms of these archetypes of the masculine and the feminine, and of course, these are very traditional uh, dynamics that Jung brings forth as as he talks about them often, the anima and the animus. And they do apply to religion, and I I love uh, applying them this way. It also has a corollary to that lunar and solar spirituality, right? One that's focused on um, the underground, the undercurrents, and the other that is uh, is certainly strength based or uh, solar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's actually kind of you know something that we've honed in on at at Bald Guy and me and uh, the guy who I work with, Clinton. we we went real solar, uh, you know, because because a lot of Odinic work uh, is very dark, and you know, for an obvious reason. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, he's kind of a, a mysterious trickster god in many ways, and and uh, uh, there there's a lot of darkness there. But uh, the idea that we we the way we frame it is is that uh, you know Odin goes into darkness to pull out the light mm. uh, and and create order. I mean, because you have to go there, and then that 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 then it relates to meditation and all kinds of things. You you go into the you know, the well, you know, this big super consciousness. But the idea is that you're imposing your consciousness on reality, and uh, and he he you know absolutely does that. And uh, so I think that there's a balance there, and that that solar aspect of ordering consciousness and ordering creation is is what interests me certainly. In one of your books, you talk about uh, there are no good or evil actions, just actions with consequences. And that strikes me as an incredibly pragmatic and maybe even an incredibly American philosophy. I'm wondering if you can talk about that particularly. Yeah, it came out of a situation I had to deal with the the tribal group I was dealing with at the time. And... uh, it was, you know, it was a situation of like, well, what you're doing, I don't care about it. You know, like someone was doing something and I was like, I don't, I, I don't care in a way that I feel like what you're doing is evil, mm. but you do have to look about it at it in terms of what the consequences are. And I have to deal with this with any group uh, that I've, I've been associated with or deal with it uh, you know, you have to look at things in terms of like, well, what are the consequences of this for all the people who you're associated with now? Mm. Uh, I mean, we had a situation where someone said something at, at Bald Gang this past uh, uh, time, and a lot of people were kind of uh, upset by it. And uh, I don't really need to control what that person feels or thinks. But uh, I was like, well, that created a situation where a whole bunch of other people didn't want to be, you know, were thought, not a whole bunch, maybe like five or six, but uh, you know, that it was alienating to them hmm. and, um, and a distraction from what we were actually doing there. And, uh, and I had to talk to the guy and I'm like, Hey, we're, 
that's not what we're doing mm-hmm. because that that affects everything else and there are, there are consequences to that that are far reaching so if you you can feel whatever you way what you want about that but we're not going to talk about that here yeah. and uh and and you have to do that with a lot a lot of things and you know as americans i think we're all very conditioned to be like, I can say whatever I want, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, you know, there are consequences to everything. Mm. And uh, you know, I, I have to think about that when I write something as you know, that's, that's why I kind of hate anonymous commenters and writers and so forth. I'm like, wow, it must be nice to not have to be held accountable to everything that you write. Uh, Cause my, you know, I'm everything I've ever written, I'm accountable for in some way and could be used against me. Yeah. So I can say whatever I want. You know, I'm not going to go to jail yet. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I could say whatever I want. But I have to say, hey, do I want to deal with the consequences of that? Mm. You know, I might be right. What I'm saying might be true and right. But that doesn't really matter. You know, is it going to eclipse everything else that I have to say? I think that's interesting hearing you say that you're actually conscious of that. Um, I certainly think you've had a real impact with your words, and some of those words have rippled out. And of course, you deal with a certain degree of of reputation issues and elements these days. Uh, Recently, I was talking to a, a friend and letting him know that I was having the Jack Donovan on, and he said, oh, the Antichrist. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I think on the other side, I, I hear you on various interviews and hear you talk to various people and they're clearly beholden to you. Um, and yet there is this apologeticness that they seem to have, um, you know, oh, I, I, I love all of his ideas. I don't agree with Jack on everything. And, uh, it seems that there is this kind of train of controversy that, that the men who are interacting with you, are are putting out and I'm wondering what's up with that I'm wondering you know how you deal with that how you deal with going on and and interacting with men who are very different than you I I think at least yeah 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 well you know I'm I'm glad that they acknowledge I've been lucky because there are a lot of people I when I started writing about masculinity uh, there were less people writing about it uh, I mean in in all the people who were writing about it were very anti-masculine and there were very few people writing about positive masculinity in any way. And now there are actually, there's a whole movement of guys uh, who are writing about positive masculinity. And many of them are Christian. And a lot of them are Mormon. And, uh, and they've hung out with me, so they like me. But they know that they're going to get a lot of shit for talking to me. <laughs> but what's really cool is that they're honorable enough to, to acknowledge that I laid out some foundations that are right. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to agree with me about everything uh, or, you know, we don't have to have the same, you know, philosophy or religious background or whatever, but uh, they can at least acknowledge that, hey, these guys, this guy's ideas are right. And I, I found that with really confident men, that is often the case. Mm. Uh, a lot of really confident men are okay with saying, well, he's right about this. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't uh, upset them. There's not a fragility there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, especially, you know, I said when I've dealt with special forces guys, they're they're so attuned to like cutting all the bullshit and looking for the right information. Mm. What's the what's the actionable information here? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't care about all the the bullshit that goes around it. Is there a kernel of good information because that's useful? And they're used to looking for useful information. Mm-hmm. And and so you know, I think a lot of you know, a lot of military guys and a lot of law enforcement guys and so forth have looked at my work and be like, well, this guy may be crazy in like three other ways, but <laughs> what he said is right. And so I'm going to take that and run with it in a different direction. Mm, yeah. This is really about, again, moving beyond that concept of good and evil, right and wrong, and getting to that idea of effectiveness or, or even pragmatism. Um, what can I apply? What can I use? How is this effective? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's, that's really how, you know, you should look at any, I think, philosophical argument or any, any kind of framework that you're looking at is like, is this useful? And again, I, I, I feel like that's very American of me. Like, uh, you know, what are these guys going to get about? I'm not, I don't want them to just meditate just for the sake of meditating. And like, because it sounds cool, uh, how is it going to make their lives better? Yeah. 
you know, and, and how is it going to make them lives better? How are they going to get to the next spot? So I'm very utilitarian in my orientation to spirituality and philosophy and everything else. Like, uh, you know, what's, what's good now, what's useful now. Uh, I believe that we, you know, to some extent create the gods that we need at the time that we need them. That sounds very chaos magic oriented or, or, or manifestation conscious, right? I'm creating reality. In some sense. I mean, I really, I don't really think of myself that way, but uh, it is, I just think that's what happens in history. You know, people, you know, manifest the, the gods that they need. And, you know, these stories, you know, there could be a, a million different stories and the ones that stick around are the ones that were useful. Mm. They told a story that people needed to hear again and again. Yeah, I think, again, bringing into focus this idea of what's functional in the moment, which makes me go back and think of, of the story of masculinity, right? And taking on these masculine virtues like strength, like honor, like courage. And it certainly brings to mind a, a moment in my life that was pivotal. A, a friend of mine and I were walking through the forest. We were actually headed up to a, a kind of a, a nature reserve area. And a gentleman passed us by in that moment, and he, he cautioned us as we were on our way up. He says, oh, I, I don't know. I'd be careful if I were to go up there. Uh, there's some real dangerous-looking guys up there. You, you be safe. And instantly in that moment, we realized uh, this was kind of an insult. We, in fact, weren't dangerous-looking guys, so to speak, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess, you know, it, it really occurred to me in that moment and certainly since then that I had cultivated this persona that was really harmless. And I guess my question is, is there something dangerous to masculinity? Well, yeah, I think, you know, and people don't want to hear this because it sounds, uh, it sounds horrific in some way to them, but uh, masculinity is rooted in violence. Mm. I don't think that you can have a, I mean, all this, the tactical virtues that I talk about in the book, uh, the way of men are rooted in the potential for violence uh, because the possibility that you may need to do violence uh, against other men, against animals, against out, uh, outward threats. Uh, and I think that, you know, we have, you know, we're built a certain way, you know, they've figured this out that we're, you know, our, our fists are probably built to beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> like that's what they're designed for. And, uh, you know, our, 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 the kind of masculine feature of a strong brow bone is meant to get punched, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, so masculinity is rooted in, in violence. Now that doesn't mean that you have to go out being violent all the time, but the root is there. Mm-hmm. And I do think that uh, you have to acknowledge that. And, you know, if, and also to be perceived as masculine in some way is in many ways to be perceived as a threat. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if people recognize, now it doesn't mean that you have to, everyone around you has to be scared, but there's a weird thing that men do. And you know, this sounds like tooting my own horn and I don't really want I don't really think of it that way. Cause I actually just think of myself as, you know, like this artsy dude, cause that's, <laughs> you know, that's my frame, you know, that's, that's how I grew up. And, and, uh, but you know, I'm, but, you know, I have the kind of this Germanic frown that I have now, but all the time. So I've kind of resting dick face. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I start to look like my grandfather, like very stern, even when I'm just looking at something at the grocery store. Totally. And, uh, and obviously, you know, I have some, uh, you know, I'm tattooed and I have a certain physical, presence and uh you know there's a weird thing that men do and uh i've talked about it with a lot of my friends who maybe look the same way is that uh, you know i've had about once a month i'll have a guy walk up to me and be like whoa i wouldn't mess with you <laughs> like like and i had the last time it happened i was looking at produce in the grocery store like barely awake, not thinking of anything, not angry about anything, just standing there looking at produce. And this guy felt the need to like upturn his hand to me, mm. which is strange, you know, cause it's not necessary. There was no conflict, Yeah. but uh, people do that. And it, it, I'll take it as a compliment that you, you, you perceived me as a threat. And so you wanted to alleviate a threat that really wasn't even there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do think that per being perceived as masculine does have to be a, that you're a potential threat, not that you're necessarily menacing, but that you're a potential threat that someone might have to deal with and maybe they don't want to. Mm. 
it's so rooted in science and biology. It's one of the things I appreciate about your work is that if you scratch just a little under the surface, you find that there is is a, a, a heavyweight academic champion right under there. You're so grounded in anthropological and biological research. I, I find it impossible to ignore or dismiss what you're saying from an evolutionary sense. At least that was my experience of reading The Way of Men. I am curious, however, why you chose not to footnote it as as much as maybe you didn't. I, I didn't notice a, a lot of that happening. Well, I think I did broad footnotes. I mean, I, I pulled a lot from uh, Rangham and Peterson's uh, yeah. Demonic Males, and and that's that's mentioned in there. And and so I I footnote a lot in context rather than you know in academic papers it'll be citation 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 <laughs> citation, and that's very distracting for the reader. And I actually ran uh, the Way of Men. Uh, by a, a guy who's a PhD in physics, uh, ah. weirdly, uh, but he's also a, a writer. And, uh, you know, the, my first draft was very much the way that people write books now. You, you write the 200-page book, and you spend most of it, like, apologizing and trying yeah. to frame it in terms of what everyone else said. <laughs> and, and, and that's why I, I actually took that part of it when I – that situated my argument in terms in this context of feminism and everything. I took that part of it out and I republished it as uh, uh, no man's land. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's Great. kind of, yeah. And I think that that's really important. It's, it's still like, now I don't want to even argue about feminism because I feel like I already did. I, I feel like I covered mm -hmm. the whole thing. Mm -hmm. but, and I always refer people back to that, but that wasn't a good part of the way of men because it wasn't inspiring and you can lose, lose a lot in that constant. Well, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that and so-and-so said that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you really want to say something strong. And that's what the, the, this, uh, PhD said to me, he was, he was like, it don't read good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's like, just say what you have to say. And uh, that, that's actually really great writing advice. And I think that, you know, if you look at look at Nietzsche, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he makes reference to other arguments, but but usually just because he's trolling somebody, uh, and uh, he makes reference to other arguments. But he's speaking, and it's Zarathustra is like one of the mm -hmm. ballsiest books. I'm gonna write as if I'm a prophet slash god, <laughs> and and say exactly what I want to say, and and put it in parables. And I mean, that's a ballsy endeavor. Uh, I would, I would love to do that. You know, I, tr I try to write a little bit more that way all the time. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it could come off as a little bit too ridiculous, but you know, it, one thing I've, I've come all across is that people are a little too afraid of going all the way uh -huh. with something. Whereas you used to be able to get away with that a little bit more, but I think maybe you can get away with it and that, uh, people are just afraid to do it. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of people have, you know, some aspects of my public image and, and uh, you know, my oration and, and so forth, uh, you know, if, if they want me to be more like real and normal and whatever. And I was like, no, I, I want to be the person that delivers this message, mm. you know, be the, go, you know, be this guy that they need to hear it from. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's more important. When you, when you read the way of men, it's, it's unmistakable that the message that you're trying to communicate and the means by which you're communicating it, your words, are so congruent that you are delivering that impact so nakedly. Um, it's, it's, it's so masculine, actually, even the words you use. Yeah, it's direct. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, pussyfooting around. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's important. And, and I'm actually going to give a little seminar. I, I'm speaking at the 21 convention uh, in, in October in Orlando. And uh, I'm going to give a little side presentation on writing like a man. Oh, awesome. And, uh, that's, and I was just actually talking about this with a friend of mine who asked me for some writing advice last night. Uh, you know, going back to those like Jack London and, uh, you know, the, those early, you know, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century adventure novels. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when you're writing for men, you know, write you know, short chapters, what actually happened, the narrative roles, so that it's not a lot of like, well, and this guy was blue and da 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 da. Like it's 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 a it's this is what happened. This is what this guy said. This is what this is the next sequence of events. And so that when they get done reading that chapter, they know exactly what you said. Mm. And I think that that's important because I think uh, men, generally speaking, I mean, you know, there's a certain class of men who just love literature. And so they'll read that 800 page book where you go on and on about things and find all the nuances and so forth in it. But you know, if, if I'm asking a guy who has a regular job where he works you know, 60 hours a week to sit down and take his time to read my book, it needs to be direct. Yeah. You know, he needs to know what he, what I'm saying and I need to, to be respectful of his time. Mm. And that's what, what I want. That's what I want when I read a book too. I mean, I'm like, uh, go on and on. And sometimes I'll get audio books uh, as well as, uh, you know, I'll usually read something sometimes in three forms mm-hmm. uh, where I'll, I'll go through the Kindle so I can highlight something and I'll have the paperback just in case I want it. And uh, the chapters that are just like some bullshit that I don't care about, I'll listen to them on audio book or something, you know, so yeah. I can get past them. It reminds me of, several of my favorite authors, the poet Rilke or Stephen King or the poet Mary Oliver, who have each in turn been so incredibly successful at doing what they do. And then they've created these books on how to do what they do, books on writing, books on poetry. Have you ever thought about maybe doing something like that, putting forward your thoughts on how to write like a man? Or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not a terrible idea. I mean, I, I thought about this, you know, I'll see how this uh, presentation goes. And, you know, I kind of already have some notes for it already. It's awesome. Because there's a lot of phrasing things that, you know, it, it does, it's all, all the aspects of masculinity that I talk about also have to, you know, they carry over into how you write. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the first thing that everybody does, it's a common thing. I can kind of almost see where somebody is. And I do it in speaking. And I realized recently that uh, writing is also texting. Hmm. And you should probably police the way you text because you're doing it more than anything else. We live in a real, really strange time where you're texting all the time. Hmm. And so you're writing. And so if you're writing, if your texting sounds like a valley girl, it's probably <laughs> going to carry over to your speech and writing. Yeah. You know, so, so you should probably police that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think the more we text, actually, the more oddly we drop into our masculine because we're being so linear, we're being so step by step, which is why I think a lot of people who who text more oddly connect more with that masculine source, including women, which is really interesting and I think maybe a provocative set of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's it's been really good having you on and uh, talking about all these different topics. One thing that comes to mind just as as we begin to kind of wind down our time together is how can a man who is in fact wanting to integrate a more robust or solar spirituality into his life, how can he begin to do it? What are the avenues? What are the resources? You got any ideas? Well, you should read the book that I'm going to put out in like a year or two. Uh, ah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in there. I, I had the the uh, great opportunity to meet uh, Edward Thorson ah. uh, awesome. uh, earlier this year, and if you're doing Germanic paganism in the United States right now, or playing with runes or anything. You are that guy. Thank you. Because mm. he's, he's, he's been doing this since the seventies mm-hmm. and he went through all, he's translated a lot of the original manuscripts and he, he was really one of the big popularizers of this idea. And so his work I think is really important. And I pull from it a lot. I mean, and he actually puts out text. He's written so many books that he, he's, he, he releases some of them just uh, privately through his Facebook page. I have a book, on my fuller that I'm looking at right now, uh, uh, which is basically all of his thoughts and all the information he has on Odin. Mm. And that's, you know, a, a kind of a self-published white book that isn't on Amazon or anywhere else, but it's, it's a fantastic resource. 
and so he has a lot of things like that but i think uh his book uh the northern dawn mm. is a good overview awesome. and uh and and so that's a good start and and you know there is no you know you don't want to get doctrinaire about any of this stuff and, yeah. and so uh you know everybody should do their own research and uh, you know if, uh, the big texts that you have are the you know, the eddas and the sagas and you know you can spend a lot of time you know just read the havamal mm. and there's there's a lot of information they're like you know be nice to your your guests and don't get drunk a lot and, <laughs> <laughs> you know there there's a lot of good practical advice in there so i, I think the original texts are where you start the rune poems themselves and then you know edward thorson's work i think is is a good place to go i mean there's there's no one way to look at this stuff exactly you know and they, and the, the cool thing is, is that you really have to make it new because these are these are broken traditions and yeah. uh, you know you have to make it alive yeah the old gods have to become our gods if we're ever going to embody a living tradition it has to be functional it has to be essential it has to be a living presence a living tradition it can't simply be old dusty musty books right i mean we want it alive yeah yeah i mean and there's certain things that are always the same i mean uh, you know you, you know the rune for water i mean what does water mean what does it mean in your life i mean that that's never changed mm. uh you know and so you can but you're still going to apply it to your everyday life in the world here and now yeah. uh you're not you're not uh you're not a 12th century farmer uh, and, and so you have to make things relevant for yourself and you know like with with an eye to history and certainly do the research and look at what that has always meant and that's what i like to nerd out about it you know me and uh, uh clinton who i work with at the land uh he, he he's really into language and we both love drilling down on what does this word always meant <laughs> and because it gives you a key to how people used to think yeah, we really need to match our here and nowness to their, them and theirness. And somehow in that fusion, in that union, it's like we create a, a certain polarity in which there's two different linear sides. And in that dynamic tension, something new, a third way comes through and is birthed in the middle. I think that's really why this idea of a living tradition is so important uh, to so many. So again, it sounds like what you're saying is really involving ourselves in um, the, the lore, um, the, the traditions, as well as practicing and uh, trying things and beginning to apply those elements into our life today. Maybe even having a community of men who you're doing that with uh, the Manabunt, uh, the cult of men, the cult of the brotherhood, and beginning to find ways of of having that experience in robust, vibrant, and new ways that are dynamic while still being historically um, accurate and present. I love that. Um, Jack, it has been so good having you on, and I, I just, I'm so struck with everything that you're doing and bringing into view. I'm really grateful that you spent this time with us. I know that, um, that every time you put yourself out there and put yourself forward, you're kind of like a lightning rod. Um, but I, I just found in this particular interview, you to be um, just so uh, refreshingly flexible and um, your attentions are, are just really uh, invested which is cool. And it, it's my way of saying you're a normal guy. Um, you have, you know, interests and passions and hobbies and are constantly driven to reinvention. I love that dynamic about you. I think it's one of the things you put forward. I think it's one of the things you encourage men to do uh, in their own lives. And it's something I really admire about you. Jack, how can uh, men stay connected to your work? How can we continue to follow you? Well, um, I'm an Instagram guy. Uh, as you know, I think you yeah. know as well, because uh, be, uh, because I'm an artist first, and I like pictures, mm -hmm. uh, and so I like to to frame things in that context. And so uh, my Instagram is at start the world, and my website is jack-donovan.com. You can get all my uh, books on Amazon and audiobooks as well uh, there. And uh, you know, obviously, I also have a clothing company, Bruno Company, 
Oh, but, uh, that's, which that's I like, love, by the way. I thank love you. Th thank, thank you. I, I, someday maybe I'll spend more time on it and do like an actual collection or something instead of just putting out a t-shirt at a time. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a big project. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, people can follow me through those, those outlets. And I hope to find some more uh, in the future. And just because social media is getting so dicey, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think there are some more platforms. I think we're going to a new, new uh, wild west of the internet where people are going to find different, you know, social networking tools and, and uh, video upload tools and so forth. And I'm kind of looking into that now. But uh, yeah, they can follow that. And, and as far as what I'm working on in the future, uh, like I said, I'm speaking at 21. Mm. Uh, you know, if, if people are in that area or want to make the trip, I mean, there's a lot of amazing speakers at that. I mean, Elliot Hulse is going to be there. Oh, yeah. uh, Stefan Molyneux is going to be there. There's, there's going to be and a, lot of, a lot of people talking about masculinity in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a really good uh, place. And if you want to know more about that, you can find it on my website. But uh, yeah, I mean, in the future, I'm doing I'm doing that, and then I'm I'm looking forward to taking, you know, going into a book writing hole and uh, ah. maybe coming up with a book, uh, kind of my version of King Warrior Magician, Magician Lover, oh, thank uh, God. With, with Odin, <laughs> Thor, and uh, Frey. Oh, awesome! Uh, because I think that they they fill a tripartite system that's very similar, and can you know I can write essays about men uh, framed in the, that context. Yeah, that, that that tripartite expression and, and particularly thinking about Thor as this embodiment of strength, strength for strength's sake, no other purpose than the joy of being strong. I love that image, that 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 archetype of Thor as the ultimate strong man. Being strong is fun. <laughs> for no other reason than being strong yeah well, it's what we are we we're we, you know, we're, you know, we're men are stronger uh being strong is being what we are mm, that's so good jack i want to conclude with the words of the poet rilke who said thus i have begun a thousand other lives and i think that's something you embody i think that's something you teach and uh, it was an honor to have you on. I'm really, really grateful that you, you showed up to Last Man Standing and, and we're here. It's a real treat for me and I know my audience of men who, who listen and look up to your work and um, are eager for your next book on this tripartite pagan system of spirituality. <laughs> Thanks for being on, man. No, oh, thank you. All right, everybody. Well, this was Last Man Standing. Come again. Come again.